Welcome to Waterproof Records. I'm Jacob Givens, uh, and today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. We have my older brother, Joel Givens. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your prestigious music podcast. Things are going to change, I This is the first time that I've ever had somebody in the same space. We've had Jared on the show and John on the show, but in the past it's just been um, Zoom. So we had a little bit of a challenge this morning. We had a USB microphone, and then I borrowed another one so that I could have a mic for both of us. But it turns out you can't run two USB microphones at the same time on the computer without us spending time with workarounds. So we're just winging it with one. Okay. But um, we're going to pour some mead first, that right? That sounds good to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, what do you want to start with? We have Vikings Blood, which oh, you have Vikings enjoyed the most. Blood, That's please. what you want to start with? Yeah. And actually, this is Vikings Blood number one. The one that you had was Vikings Blood number two. Oh, okay. So I actually made two batches of it, two giant uh, So this would be full. slightly different. It's a little different, yeah, actually. So okay. I'll have a little bit as well. Listen to that ASMR. Mm-hmm. Pour your mead. Mm-hmm. That's a good place to start, right? Perfect. I don't know. Well, yeah. You want more? No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> We don't want to be lit by the end yeah. of the show, or do we? Well, maybe. Maybe. So, anyway, Joel Givens is my older brother, and he does not live here in Los Angeles. He lives in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, but you've only been in Indiana now for two years? About two and a half years. Two and a half years? All mm-hmm. right. Well, cheers. Cheers. Look at us in our tankards here. Let's have a sip. Mm. Ooh, Vikings uh, blood. Great way to start the afternoon. <laughs> Absolutely. Nothing like a midday mead. Yes. So uh, anyway, with this mead, which, uh, you know, listeners of the show, you know I make my own mead. I was really excited to share it with my brother. And I gave him, I have, I have about four or five different types that I have, and Vikings blood was the winner. Yeah. Vikings blood is basically a mead that's made with, um, you know, whatever honey you choose. I think for this one I chose buckwheat. And I had hibiscus tea and berries, like a whole batch of like frozen. So it was like raspberries, blackberries, like a, one of those frozen bundles of berries. Mm-hmm. And you threw it in there. And so then it comes out kind of, you know, red. Yeah. Red and hue. I can definitely taste the hibiscus. You and can, it's fantastic. It's good. And it comes out at about like 135 mm-hmm. to 14%, I think roughly. Yeah, this has been a highlight of the trip. Highlight of the trip. <laughs> so he's, uh, you live in Indiana now mm-hmm. for two and a half years. Before that, it was Colorado. But mm-hmm. we, of course, um, like you guys know, grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so I've only had two other guests on the show. One was my college roommate. The other one is basically family. But this is the real blood relationship here. here and you've heard me mention things, stories um, about our childhood. And I thought, well, you're visiting me here. Mm-hmm. I was like, I got to have him on the show, and I think the thing we have to talk about is... The Cure. The Cure. We have to talk about The Cure because you guys know that The Pumpkins was my number one band, the band that I bought everything, and for my brother, it was The Cure. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. yes, absolutely. So, like, when did The Cure fall into your lap? Because he's two and a half years older than me, so he would, you know, often be the one to clue me in on new bands that he was finding, but... Do you remember that moment that you like heard them for the first time? Um, I would probably be in two, 
um, when I was in eighth grade, mm-hmm. and I, I'm trying to think what year that would be. Maybe 1987. If you were, if you were, if you were in eighth grade, 1988. I don't know, man. If you were in eighth grade, I would have been in sixth grade. Oh no, wait, it would. So be you're talking ninety. It's like yeah, 90. yeah, it would be. I uh, know more like uh, yeah, 1990, 1990 yeah. or 91. Yeah, okay, yeah, so you were in eighth grade, and did you hear them? Like, where did you hear them? Um, so it was on a mixed tape. Somebody had put a few Cure songs on there. Um, some of them were from Disintegration. Yeah, and mixed up. Yeah, and so those were. It was Fascination Street. Yeah. Um, probably was the first song I remember. Now I'd seen Love Song on MTV. You had, yeah, but the, it was the uh, Fascination Street. I remember listening to that song, and that was really the first time I fell in love with the Cure. Fascination um, Street, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, for that song. That's a very memorable, memorable song for mm-hmm. sure. But I, I uh, yeah, you became obsessed, and it was like to the point of where I think I learned to appreciate the Cure. A little bit more later in life. It's not that I didn't like them. I liked The Cure. I bought um, I bought several of their albums on cassette tape. Actually, my first Cure um, cassette was Mixed Up, and it was on accident. Mixed mm-hmm. Up is an album of their songs, and they're remixed with like additional beats and cuts from DJs' interpretations of them, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Yeah. So we were at the store, we were at the record store, and I bought a cassette tape just just kind of not knowing, you know, this is pre-internet, so I can't do any Googling. I just literally see a Cure album and it's just mixed up on it, and I buy it, and then I listen to it, and it's all these versions of the songs that were, like, changed, but that was kind of how I got introduced to them. And, um, and then, but you dove in head-on and got everything. You had the Boys Don't Cry poster on your mm-hmm. wall. You had everything on cassette. Yeah, so it started out probably from 8th grade and ninth grade. Um, I think my... I can't remember which was the first album that I got, but around that time was when Wish came out. Yeah. And so that was when I was a freshman, and you would have been in 7th grade at the time. Yeah. And so Wish was like the first album... That I remember, um, I had been listening to them, but I got so into them uh, around the time of the Wish album. And I started out in that era with them first. Yeah. So that would have been like right around the Disintegration album and Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. And yeah. I kind of that, those albums first. And then I went back to their very first songs from Boys Don't Cry to 17 seconds and those um, earlier albums as well. Yeah, and I, we have this really fun memory, and actually we d- we decided to turn it into a um, turn it into a TikTok. And by the time this airs, it'll probably be out there. But a really kind of a, a memorable moment for me and you for the Cure mm-hmm. was um, was a forest. Mm-hmm. And the main reason why we listened to this radio station in Tulsa. And it was a college radio station. And what was it Rogers State College? I think it was Rogers State College, and it was called The Edge of Insanity. The Edge of Insanity. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've talked about that again. It was called Edge of Insanity. And, you know, back then it was like the only way you could get exposure to bands that even MTV wasn't playing in their, in their main rotation. Because really, it's not like... Cure was getting a lot of MTV love. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a band. They did have some videos out there, and maybe in the 80s they got a little bit more love. But by the time we were exiting the the hair metal, the glam bands, and going into alternative, you weren't seeing a lot of Cure on MTV. 
So if you wanted to get bands like that, you had to listen to college radio. And we were listening to this radio station, and Joel had this he had this uh, stereo like you do back then, which is basically like it used to belong to your parents, and then they basically give you their old stereo once you get this new stereo. And this mm-hmm. one had a uh, this one had this tape deck that it was like you know the design of it was the tape deck would eject out and you could see the tape playing and you would lay it in like this. And so I think it was meant to like you put in the tape and then you push it in and then you you like that's how it's supposed to play but Joel would always leave it playing sitting out. Didn't oh, right. it even jam in that I position? Think so yeah. I think it eventually jammed in that yeah. position. Uh-huh. So we're listening, and we would make these mixes of just like you know, Dead Kennedys, and uh, I'm trying to think of some of the songs that were on that on that radio show that we would get on a cassette tape, like Knights of Reb. I mean, really obscure. All, uh, Knights of Reb. What's that? Knights of Reb. They were like a, a German alternative band. I don't even remember that. What, yeah. was, the, what was the song? Um, I, I don't know. I can't remember the name. But it was of the on song, one of the things. But it was on there. But it was like skinny puppy and like yeah. really weird industrial, industrial goth progressive. Yeah, and so so a forest is up there, and we've got this Memorex tape in there, and we're nearing the end, and we're taping a forest, and a forest is do 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 do. And so it gets to the end of the song and the tape stops, like auto stops because we're out of tape. And we are standing there. I remember standing next to my brother. We're standing there and we're pushing in the record button and fighting against the auto stop of the of the yeah. tape. And we keep fighting against trying to get that last minuscule second of the Memorex tape to dub a forest. So the ending of it, this bass line is, is fading out and it keeps stopping and starting and stopping and starting. So then we went on a family vacation to uh, Sipapu. Sipapu, New is Mexico. New Mexico. It's near Taos. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we were listening at mixtape, and whenever we would get to a forest, at the very end, it would always do these stop starts at the end of the song. But that song kind of was the, the song of that trip. That's right. We would play it in our whatever lodge we were staying in at the time. Yeah. And it was, it was dark, and we were in the middle of a forest. Yeah, and this kind of pine forest yeah. at this ski resort uh, yeah. off season, and I always associate that memory of of in darkness in the forest, totally. listening to that song. Totally, yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Drink that whole glass right now. You're, oh, okay. You're you're in profe- you're in professor mode right mm. now. You're very serious. I can't help it. I can't <laughs> help it. This is just he's, kind of he's a college professor, <laughs> and so as soon as like you know he's he's like in lecture mode. He's got this like we're addressing a, his one of his classes, and he's teaching him about the history of the cure. But here you get to be just with me right now and talking about memories and good times and all well, that. Well, it's so funny because in preparation for this talk, yeah. I said I should do some research ahead of time, and I prepared like it was a class lecture. Right. And I was thinking, just like when I stand in front of my students, I I don't want to look like I don't I don't know no idea what about. I'm talking yeah. about. And so there's all this like I have to get this right, I have to get this right. So that's just that's just my. It's going in your head. Well, and I, look, look, look. I do the same thing because honestly, and this is this is a true thing for the audience. You know, we're in our 40s now, and it's not that we didn't know this stuff memorized when we were teenagers, but you do as you get older. You know, when I did the Siamese Dream episode, even though I am literally could have a PhD in Smashing Pumpkins in the 90s, I I was literally looking at the dates and the studios and the locations and all this stuff because I wanted to have the facts right. And it, it is one of those things that you want to be like, I remember it correctly, I remember it correctly, but the truth is... 
it's really hard to retain this encyclopedic knowledge of a band the older you get. You know what oh, I mean? Well, it gets, yeah, not just the knowledge, but when, what happened when. Because as I was talking about my freshman year in high school, and I remember that the Sipapu trip was in the fall, and that would have been when we were listening to The Forest, and I got 17 seconds. So then you were thrown so off. Wish came out in the spring in 1992 mm-hmm. when I was a freshman. So as I was even thinking about it, I was like, no, wait a second. I was into 17 Seconds, the album, before I was into Wish. And so it all kind of gets mixed up as... Uh, oh, <laughs> mixed up! Hey, hey, I just threw that in hey, there. Look, look at you. Look at me putting in that album title. Throw it in those zingers. It's as if my memory undergoes disintegration. <laughs> oh, nothing but cure puns yeah, all gonna, day, yeah, every day. Just all cure puns all from cure here puns on out. out. Well, so so what do you, before we get into, I want to hear like the, what are your top songs of all time or top albums of all time, but I want to know, what do you think it was that drew you in when you heard Fascination Street? Was it the sound? Was it the mood? What was it? I think that what, the, the mood that The Cure's music has always evoked in me when I listen to it um, is is a, an intense um, embracing almost loneliness or sadness oh. in a way that um, kind of felt safe. I, 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 that seems like an overused term, but it was almost like I'm going through high school and I needed a place to kind of feel like I could be a teenager and feel sorry for myself and all the things that you do when you're a teenager and you write poetry and I was thinking about wanting to be in love or afraid of being in love and and I would listen to the music and I would get this really intense moved feeling of yeah. the passion yeah that uh, Robert Smith would put into his lyrics I I could feel along with the music unlike anything else I'd ever heard before yeah um, sad, lonely, but happy too at times. Yeah, I think he he has this poignant, moving way of writing songs that that kind of feel like they're right here in my gut. Yeah, um, and and that's what I've always been drawn to in in the music. I love it, and that that is a true. <laughs> and you remember this? I think even as an adult, we feel it. Being brothers, we have this melancholy side to us. Mm-hmm. We have this sadness. But I know that a lot of you who listen to this show and are passionate about bands, um, there's a great lyric that I've always held on to from Nirvana um, in Francis Farmer. And he says, I miss the comfort in being sad. Yeah. And I, I think that that lyric echoes in my head all the time. Yeah. Because there is comfort in being sad. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I seek it out. I chase it sometimes. I want a song that breaks my heart because I like dwelling yeah. in that space. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you were, you know, he was a very academic kid, mm-hmm. you know, really focused on school, much more than me. And so you needed to have a place to kind of go and experience those emotions when you were feeling like you could be vulnerable. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if, if we go back to high school, there was also like trying to sort yourself into different friend groups. Definitely in the 90s. And the 90s. And so I was um, a leader because I was in student council. I was an athlete because yeah. I was on the swim team. Yeah. I was with a bunch of uh, churchy guys. Yeah. 
Definitely first child stuff. Yeah, first child. So, Definitely older brother. Yeah, kind of like Steve Rogers kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah, Captain America. Definitely kind of a Steve oh, Rogers thing. Oh, for sure. Captain yeah. America and the Penguin. I know, no, those are well, two different universes. Well, no, and you're, I remember when um, your girlfriend's mother at the time called me America's big brother. She did? Yeah. Kathy? Or no, no, Kate. Kate's, Kate's mom, Kate's mom called, called me America's Big Brother. I'd say that's a pretty accurate I was just kind of all-American. America's Big Brother, Joel <laughs> Givens. Kind of apple pie and, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But then I had this group of friends that were all in the band. Yeah. And the school band, right? And they, you know, they were trumpet players, etc. And they were all into The Cure and all kinds of music, and they would wear black. Yeah. And so they had the goth thing going yeah. on. Yeah, So every now and then I would hang out with them, and I could connect to the goth because it was like we can be into sadness yes. and death yes. and the morbid side of oh, things. Oh, yeah. Yes, and read this kind of poetry. <laughs> and then I had my other kind of um, more middle-of-the-road yeah, uh, athletes and and listening um, to what's on the radio. Yeah, kind of the radio thing. friendly stuff, and yeah. so I kind of would have both worlds going on. So. But you know what's cool is I've kept up with a lot of people from high school, and there were several uh, younger classes under the, uh, under us that have you know we've reconnected over the pandemic and whatnot. And uh, Ben Shelton is one of them, and yeah. he was like, I owe a lot of my music knowledge and introduction to the Givens brothers. Mm. And then my friend Kara, she also said, you know, you introduced me to, to, to Portishead and you know what? So there were all these people that we grew up with. And this is what I think is kind of neat is I love being the person. And, and mm. I, I'm sure you do too. Even now on TikTok and in from this podcast, people who go, Hey, Jacob Givens, look, it's the pumpkins. Mm-hmm. I thought of you. Yeah. I'm literally like, yeah. I did it! I did it! Uh-huh. I, I have I have I have in, I have inserted myself into people's psyches to when they hear a band, they think of me synonymously with a band, and that for me is such a cool, victorious moment. And I'm sure if you ever cross paths with somebody from the past, and they're like, you know, Joel, I heard a Cure song the other day, and it totally reminded me of you. Doesn't that just feel like the coolest thing it's, ever? It's cool. Yeah, I have a I have a you know a few friends that will send me Cure related. Yeah, videos or TikToks or something like that, and will show me something, and I'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's definitely. I just love, cool. I just love that feeling. So you, yeah. so you got introduced to him, and you felt that that feeling, which I think we can all relate to the the sadness. But what was the um, what was the standout album for you in that era? And it could be there could be more than one. But what's the what's the the okay? So you've got a chance to share the cure with somebody, and you can only give one album. Oh gosh, I don't know if I can pick just one because, so like a true fan. Well, and here's the, here's the thing because, the thing I want to say about the Cure and it's it's important for this podcast is they changed so much over the years that they were never the same band uh, when they started in 1979 to where they are like. 10, 20, 30 years Elab- later. Elaborate, because what what did they sound like in the 70s? Well, so, okay, so in their very first album, Three Imaginary Boys, um, and then we know that as the Boys Don't Cry album, which was the U.S. release of that, um, these albums were very post-punk. Yeah. And so sounded much more like punk. And then the three albums that followed that, uh, 17 Seconds, Faith, and Pornography were all really dark and gloomy. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's what kind of cemented their reputation yeah. of being like a goth band. Yeah. And yeah. so like if if you were really into those albums, then you were wearing all black and you were into death and yeah, yeah. all culminating in pornography. Like, you know, I they say something like, it doesn't matter if we all die or something like that yeah, in, yeah. in, in a, a hundred years. Um, and then they they pivoted after that and they were very much a pop band. So uh, the singles around Japanese Whispers, and then they go into, uh, they make The Top, which is a bizarre album that to this day, I, I have a hard time kind of listening to it fully. It's it's um, it's a stretch. It's yeah. like... It, I think every band does that to us. They throw an album that comes out of left field and you're like, huh, I yeah. love the band and I want to be loyal, but I don't know what we're doing, but I'll give it a try. Exactly. I'm like, this is pushing me. This I don't know what they're doing, but yeah. it's really pushing me. And then they go into Head on the Door, and these these were all poppy, but they were also had some gloomy element into yeah. it. Yeah. But then from then on, they exploded after Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, uh, Disintegration, and then from there on, they were making pop songs, but they were also making these really moving, sad, yeah, lonely yeah. songs. That's that always on. been there. Yeah, so you'd have like a, a few pop songs, and then you'd have some really moving, sad, yeah. depressing kind of songs going on. So it was like, what albums do I like out of different eras? Because some I remember at certain times of my life that was yeah. like, okay, for example, the Faith album with Carnage Visors, my sophomore year, was just an an album where I felt lonely and sad, and I got so into those songs. Yeah. And I would go and drive around in my car and listen to Carnage Visors, and and it, it was not just sad and lonely, it was also scary at times. And yeah. I liked the fear that yeah. I could feel yeah. listening to it. But then, like... At another time in my life, I was in college, and Wild Mood Swings comes out. Yeah. And that album, I was much older. Yeah. Um, I was in college, and it was associated with memories of the time. So it's like, that's what's so hard for me to say what my favorite album is, because yeah. they represent different times of my life. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I, I would expect a nuanced uh, answer like that from a diehard fan. By the way, I just realized that if you are watching this video, I'm very sorry that the mic stand is obscuring half of my face. So I'm trying to get around it. Um, the so I would say so that's funny because if somebody was to say which Pumpkins album, I would of course spend a lot of time going like, well, which era do you want? Do right. you like the heavier? Do you like the slower? There's a little bit of the electronica. There's a little bit of the acoustic and all that stuff. So it has those decisions. Whereas for me as a as an outsider, Cure fan, Cure fan, but mm. not didn't spend the time you did. Disintegration is the one that I would say start to finish. I go disintegration is the quintessential. Cure experience. I would probably agree. I'd say if I if I had to put on an album start to finish, which every song is amazing and incredible and moving and takes me through a wild ride of yeah. experiencing all kinds of things, I don't skip a track, um, that would be Disintegration. Yeah. Um, and a close second, maybe surprisingly, would be the album called The Cure, which came out in 2004. Really? Yeah, because after so many years, when they seem to be on the decline, they come out with this album 
Um, and I know it's close to 20 years ago now, but I was already living in Colorado. I saw them live that summer in yeah. 2004. Uh, was it the first time you saw them my live? First time I'd seen them live. Wow, it was for what that a album. wait! What a patient wait that was from going 14 years of yeah. being a diehard fan and then finally getting a chance to see them. But they, I think they opened the show with a hundred years from the pornography album. Wow. I mean, to to be like, we're gonna play an album, a song from early goth cure. They play a hundred years, and I mean, it blew me away. But then. A lot of the songs off that album, The Cure, uh, are incredibly solid. And I th- it showed that they still write amazing music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, what I was going to say is um, I want to tell this story. I have to tell the story, which I've told it briefly when Mom made a cameo on the um, on the TikTok. I told this story. We, of course, had uh, Christian parents in a Christian home, and a lot of you can relate, and I've talked about this before with that, you know, kind of that feel, that torn at my at my spiritual spirit in this in my youth about music and the, the controversy surrounding it. But but my mom and dad were getting more protective of the kind of music we were listening to because they found our heavy metal. They found Megadeth and suicidal tendencies, and they were worried about that. So that that started a new policy, which was whatever albums we bought, we had to present it to them. We had to like show them uh, what we had. And we were on a family vacation, and they Joel had The Cure's Pornography. That's the name of the album, if you didn't know. And it's a super creepy album. That's yeah. 100 Years and Cold is on there? No, no, is that on 17 Seconds? Uh, I'm probably mixing it up now. So they, Yeah, anyway, I think it is on there. So it's it's got a lot of like scary, really yeah. gothy type sound to it. And mom and dad are, are like, well, I mean, look at this title. We got to sit down and look at this. And so they open up the lyrics. They unfold the, the cassette. And they start reading the lyrics, and it's like, the I don't know what song it is. Something small falls out of your mouth, and I laugh. Well, that's 100 years. 100 years, right? Yeah. So they start reading it, and they start laughing. And you and I start laughing as well because they realize that this title of this album isn't related at all. Well, and to, also in that song is Meet My Mother. Meet My Mother. That's right. Yeah, Meet, Meet My, my mother. mother. And, and you know. The funny thing was, it was my mom reading it. Yes. So it was yes. like, meet my mother. Yeah, meet my mother. As she was reading it. And so it, it we were all dying laughing. We were laughing because they were reading these lyrics and seeing this deep, poetic, uh, you know, this, this guy was just really tortured soul writing these heartfelt lyrics, but they were very bohemian. They were really, really odd poetry, basically. And mom and dad, like at that moment, were like, I guess the cure's fine. We've got nothing to worry yeah, about I after mean, that. Robert Smith would read... Uh, something absurdist or in literature. And then he was frequently misunderstood. So like for an example, the very first, one of the very first singles to come out, Killing an Arab, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a controversial title, right? Yeah, people didn't associate it with, oh, this is from Camus, The Stranger. And so he had read that book and then he wrote a song about it, about the protagonist and um, what happens in in the book, The Stranger. And so... That a lot of times would happen is that whatever Robert Smith was like reading at the time, he would then transfer into lyrics and the songwriting process. And so pornography just happened to have this almost absurdist free writing, free association 
Yeah. Like, do these lyrics even make sense? Right, right. Um, and then he tried something completely different uh, the next year. Yeah. You know? Which, what what was it after that? Well, then it was the Japanese Whisper, Whisper oh, single. So, like, right after pornography, Love Cats and Let's Go to Bed come out. Oh, my gosh. That, that so is a hard, like, hard left turn. It was like, I think the pornography album was, like, 1983. No, 1982. And then 1983 is Love Cats and Let's Go to Bed. Wow. So really so, different, really, yeah. really different. But I had to tell that story because it's a it's a funny memory for me that like the forest, uh, the tape stopping and starting. But, you know, overall, Joel would always, you know, he would bring me into his room and he would show me these songs. We used to have debates over uh, there was a steady drum beat to those songs. And I used to be like, that's a drum machine. And you're like, nope, it's not a drum machine. Mm-hmm. Remember that? We mm-hmm. used to get in debates over that. But I, I I love The Cure, and they bring back a lot of fond memories of our childhood. Um, and I I wonder, did you did you participate much in the fact that if you were a Cure fan, there was always kind of a rivalry between the, the Cure and the Smiths. Oh, yeah. Did that affect your interest in the Smiths? Because that's, like, Pumpkins had a rivalry with Pavement. Yeah. So I couldn't really get into Pavement because I felt loyal, which now I am into Pavement. I like Pavement now. But back then I was like, well, they I can't like Pavement because they hate the Pumpkins. And it was all overblown nonsense anyway. But yeah, did, but did I you think, have a similar thing? No, not really, because I had, I was into The Cure from freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. I didn't start getting into The Smiths until maybe junior year. And so somebody had lent me The Queen is Dead. And so I started listening to more of the Smiths. And I appreciated them each in their own way for what yeah. they brought. I mean, yeah. different sound completely. Yeah. Um, not just Morrissey, but you have Johnny Marr and what he brought to the band. Johnny Marr I mean, enhanced everything he touched. Yeah, and then he, and then he, you know, he went on to play with The The. Yep. And so, I mean, I had, I had kind of a... a simultaneous love for the Smiths and the Cure. And on my, you had brought this up at the beginning, on my cork board. Yes. On yes. my wall. So I'd put that cork board up. I had a, I think I had two Cure posters. I think so. I just remember Boys Don't Cry. one of the Smiths. Yeah. I think I got one of the Smiths in there. So I didn't see a, uh, although I know Morrissey and Robert Smith weren't that's, like big fans of each other. That's why I brought it up because here's the funny thing. We're not, you know, you like hip hop and you like rap. But you know, there's always feuds, right? You have yeah. you have Biggie and Tupac, and you have these feuds between East Coast, West Coast. Well, in the alternative realms, they're not like really blown out, like like huge, overblown feuds between two bands. But there's like somebody says something snobby or snide in an interview, and then the other member of the other band says something snobby and snide in that their interview, and that's about all the beef ever is. But I just remember there being like a like a if you like the Cure then you can't really like the Smiths and then vice versa, right? Because right. Morrissey was kind of an asshat. Yeah, and I never got into that. I mean, I, <laughs> I know. yeah, and I think, I know, but, but. but it's funny because I, you know, and I do like the Smiths and I'm okay with Morrissey. I think he was, I think he was he's a pretentious... so much about his, his stage persona. Yeah. And what's interesting is somebody could say, well, that's also Robert Smith because he's smearing lipstick on his face and his hair's all messed up. But I always got the sense that Robert Smith was struggling with what fame meant because he was dedicated to music all the way through. I mean, yeah. I he was always trying to come up with new sounds, new lyrics, new ways to move people. That seems like what his dedication was. And the fact that the spotlight was on him, 
he never seemed to be okay with that. Yeah. And he was struggling with how do I be a celebrity in all this? Yeah. And so people would say, well, that whole, you know, putting lipstick on was just a show. I think it was just, and I don't know a whole lot of the story behind why he did it, but I think he struggled with being a celebrity and trying to figure out how to be an artist yeah. throughout the whole thing. And that's why I've always had immense respect for him and yeah. the band. Yeah, I have a huge amount of respect for Robert Smith. And he's always been kind of the, um, you know, there was a sketch show, I think, on in the 90s where they had it. I don't even remember. It wasn't the state. It was something else. But they had this, oh, like. this old house. This that, old that, house yeah. with Robert Smith. Do you remember what, do you remember what that was on? I don't remember the, the comedian who did it, but I found it on YouTube. You did? It's, it was called This Old House with Robert Smith. Yeah. And it was like him giving you a tour of his home. And he was like, this is a corner where I just sit when I'm really depressed in these cobwebs and stuff like that, right? It well, was, yeah. What was so funny about it is that. <laughs> is that the the person who was re- renovating the house was like, we're going to put up a new wall here. We're going to clean out all this debris. Yeah. And, and he goes, no, no, leave it. <laughs> leave the debris. Leave it. And they were like, you want me to leave it like this? <laughs> and he goes, yes, I, I like the decay. I like the decay. And he goes, and then at one point he says in the bathroom, it's just like scraps all over the ground and the guy goes yeah of course we're going to clean all this out and he goes oh no 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 please don't <laughs> I like the decay when I'm in the bath and I just I just love that whole thing and, yeah. and um, I always was wondering like if Robert Smith had seen that what he I'm sure he, has. he found that amusing I'm sure you know we live in the day and age now like this is what's so funny is that people can just send you you know back then it's like if you had a joke video or a sketch about Robert Smith maybe he won't see it but now, because he more than likely has a cell phone, yeah. there's no way that, like, if there's a TikTok or an Instagram video or something made about the Smiths, some cousin of his is like, Robert, did you see this one? You know, yeah. like, it's going to be sent his way. That's why bands that I grew up, you know, adoring are seeing videos of me reacting to their songs. And it's so surreal because the yeah. divide between the rock star and MTV his, is now like, oh, well, we can just kind of talk at them whenever we want. Like, right. they can choose to listen, but it's just it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling that mead. Oh, no, I am too. <laughs> yeah. I'm what's, feeling, feeling lightheaded. What's interesting about The Cure is they have, they've continued to tour. Um, they did their fast, I'm sorry, their last. Uh, There's the mead. There it is. Their last studio album was in 2008. It was called 413 Dream. Really? It's been that long since it's they put out a... It's been 2008. So it's been, what is that, 13 years? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've continued to tour. Um, sometime in there, I guess in 2019, they went back and recorded a lot of new music that has not been released yet. And so, wow. I mean, I think that it was supposed to be released, you know, maybe a year or two ago, but then... Who knows with the pandemic and everything? Yeah, that might have slowed down the whole process. But they were, um, they they have this recorded music that will be released at some point. That's awesome. Yeah, I think win. like two albums worth. Is really, what they've told. Yeah, they pulled they've a said. they pulled a prince. They've just been archiving. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I, I, I kind of lost my. This meat is starting to get me. Yeah, so no, now I'm starting fine. to lose my concentration. Oh, I was gonna say. Okay, let's talk about. Let's talk about favorite songs and, um, you know, it's not necessarily a top five or a top three, but like, what are the ones that are the staples for you that are like, 
you could listen to that one over and over again. Like I would say, you know, if it back to the Pumpkins Lincoln, it's hard for me to pick a favorite, but Mayonnaise is the number one for me. So do you have a number one Cure song? Well, what I mean, I'd say Untitled off of the Disintegration album is such a an amazing song. So that would be one of them. Um, but then, like, what you find a lot of times in albums that, uh, like, I, I'd say Wild Mood Swings, um, it's a bit hit and miss for me. There's some songs on there I, I love. Uh, and then there's some songs I'm like, mm, I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, but the very last song on that album is called Bear. And it's one I I would just listen to that over and over again. It's such yeah. a fantastic song. That is a great song. So a, a lot of times I think about an album and I think, oh yeah, that's um, uh, that's a, that's a song I could listen to again and again. So like uh, Push. Uh, from, that's one of mine. Really? That's from Head on the Door? Yeah, Push is one of my favorites yeah. because it is a very like opposite of what you'd expect from the Cure song. It makes you want to like ride your bike faster. And it makes you want to pump your fist in the yeah, air. Yeah, it's like, like go, it's go, go, go! Push it away! Push it away! It's so great. That it's is such, such an anthem. It's, it's like it's yeah. like this is meant to be played at a stadium. Yes. It makes you, it, it just it makes you excited. Yeah. Yeah. P- uh, p- uh, push, and then In Between Days is another one of my favorites. Uh-huh. I love that song. And people cover it all the time. That one gets covered all the time. Um... So yeah, I think yeah, I think that's push but is then, probably and then one of my strange favorites. day on um, on the pornography album is yeah. such an incredible song too. Yeah, so it's like if I had to kind of piece together as I look back at their whole career, and I think what are my favorite songs of all time? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it I might it might take me a moment, but I can pick out some along the okay. way that are. I also love From from the Edge of the Deep Green Sea off of Wish. I love that song. Oh, yeah, yeah. From the Edge of the Deep Green Sea. Great song. Um, Yeah. I used to get so emotional to that one. I used to sit in my room and play that song and just be like, put your hand in the sky. Oh, yeah. Remember, be here forever and never say goodbye. (laughs) I remember, and I remember actually I was a, a senior in high school and I was dealing with like a breakup or some kind of relationship thing. And mm. I was at the state swim meet and I walked into this other room with my headphones and listened to Letter to Elise. Oh, I love that just, song. And just just felt like the sadness and mm-hmm. and and just how heartbroken I was. Yeah. Yeah. I had there was a girl in my class in middle school whose name was Elise. And I remember being attracted to her specifically because her name oh, because was Elise. Of the song. Because of the song. Yeah. Like I would look at her and I would hear like, oh, Elise, it doesn't yeah. matter what you do. And I was like, I think I love her. And it was just because of the song title. Yeah. Um, but okay, that's fair. Those are fair, fair choices on the on the song titles. I, you know, I I don't know if there's anything else I wanted to cover before we got out of here, other than because we're doing pretty good on time. Uh-huh. But I was gonna say, uh, was there any kind of like I don't know, closing cure stories or tracks or, or moments about them that you wanted to reflect upon before we exit? Well, I would say I there was a time um, in high school I would save up money with whatever job I had at the time to buy a cure cassette. Yeah. It was like every six months. Yeah. That's funny to, re- to look back and to go, there was a time when I had, I didn't have a lot of money. And I would save up to go get a cassette and yeah. then just I'd listen to it 
until I'd almost warped the tape. Yeah. Um, and one of them, the one that had a huge impact on me was um, the standing on a beach or staring at the sea. Staring at the sea, which was the name of the CD, but the name of the tape was standing, was standing on a beach. beach yep. Right. And the standing on the beach one had the B sides to it. Yeah. So on, on the A sides, it was all the singles, Charlotte Sometimes. Love that song. Yeah. Charlotte Which Sometimes. came out around the time of the so Faith album. Yeah. But I was I was listening to uh, all those A-sides, and then on the B-sides, there were all these obscure, strange, one called uh, Splintered in Her Head. Uh, Splintered in Her Head. That's remember, a freaky one. Yes. I remember getting you into the room and turning out all the lights yeah. and all these kind of tribal sounds of great. Robert Smith kind of making these, yeah. these uh, kind of... Cries, moans, and yeah. yells, and 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 I just remember feeling afraid and loving it. Yeah, yeah. and just getting into it. Um, and then I would, and then I would kind of look out and see what other projects was Robert Smith um, involved in. Um, and at the time, he and how did you find it though? Because this is the interesting thing. What what was your source? Like, how could you research? And find other bands. Do you even remember? I think it was our friend Matthew Haswell who who had an encyclopedic knowledge knowledge of bands. Yeah. And he said, Oh, if you're into the cure, you would get into Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. Because the two of uh, the cure and the Susie and the Banshees, they actually did a lot together. Robert Smith played with Susie and the Banshees. And so there was quite a lot of overlap with that band. So I I knew some of their work. And then they did a collaboration album called The Glove. Yeah, this is this is a this is this a deep is like cut, deep ladies cut. and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. So and and I got the glove, and I remember hearing these songs. So some of the songs, uh, Susie Sue is singing, some Robert Smith is singing. Uh, but it's it's a great album, and it's at. I was always just looking for these new projects. Uh, what's amazing, I'd say, in the last twenty years, is that Robert Smith has become such a big deal. He's sought after, and then he's in all of these projects where it's like yeah. he's singing in in a um, like we were just churches the churches song. He's a guest vocalist on a churches song, which is great. Yeah. So now you go, I'll I'll hear a song and I go, oh, that's Robert Smith. So like all these bands have kind of roped him in. So he's still he's still singing, he's still performing, um, and then the Cure was um, was inducted into the Hall of Fame a few years ago. I didn't know that. And uh, go cure the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, um, Trent Reznor did the opening speech for them. Really? Um, yeah, it's 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 really a it's a great speech. Um, and um, but Robert Smith uh, was they were finally getting inducted in, and you saw the members who were are currently in the band. There have been a lot of members been a lot of lineup changes over that the years. have changed over the years, where they've had people come and then leave and then come back. Uh, and Robert Smith is the only person that has been the one constant member. Yeah, he is from the, cure. the very beginning, the all the way through. Yeah, because you had members like Gallup, Simon Gallup, Simon Gallup. So yeah, yeah, when you look at the album, you'd see the names on the Simon Gallup is albums. the bass player, and he was with him for a long time. I feel like uh, yeah, long, he and he time. left and then came back, came back, and then the drummer I can't remember his name, uh, uh, Lawrence Tolhurst. Oh, see, this is easy. So this is part of the research I did ahead yeah, of time, but I bet you it was in there. It was, it was in, in there. I, was of in course, there. I remembered because like Poor old Thompson is another person that's been with them for a long time, uh, but. Um, and then you had some people who came in later, 
But like Lawrence Tolhurst was in the very beginning up until about 1989. Yeah. And they co-wrote a lot of songs together. So. Yeah. So what was that? The Glove was a pretty obscure thing. It was like yeah, a Yeah, The second. Glove was an album that um, I found at some music store. And um, so I, I don't know what other kind of side projects he did, but yeah. that was one that was with the Susie and the Banshees. Uh, band that's awesome mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah well that's i mean that's essentially the the cure episode with joel givens mm-hmm. um we're gonna go to the beach now and mm-hmm. uh we drank mead yes we probably should put some food on our stomachs yep. uh i was trying to think if there was any other last closing thoughts i had about the cure before we wrap things up other than just you know he he really is a mood robert smith is a mood i like to i like to imagine that members of his family call him bob yeah, I like to picture Bob that, Smith. like, 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 I like to picture that he's at home, and they're like, Bobby, yeah, could you hand me the the tea kettle, uh-huh. yeah, Bob, Bob Smith, <laughs> yeah, um, Bobby Smith, um, but yeah, he's you know he's a legend. He's a well, legend. and I I think the other thing that I I have heard about him is that um, he's very different from how he's depicted. Okay. So that like if if he seems gloomy or dark, um, and that's the whole joke about the this old house or whatever, where he says I like the decay. Yeah. Um, that he's really not like that in in real life. Yeah. yeah. That he he's a musician, um, and that he's somewhat shy and introverted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you get that from him. Yeah. I, I, I can tell. He's he when he gets up on stage, I mean, he want, he's clearly wants to play his music, but he's not a like. Uh, play to the crowd or everybody look at me kind of person. Yeah. He almost gets a sense he's a little bit uncomfortable when yeah. he's in front of people, uh, but that he's very dedicated to making good music. Yeah. And that's kind of how um, I, I think he's been misunderstood, but he has had a huge, and, and The Cure has had a huge impact on so many bands. Oh, absolutely. Like um, um, Interpol has said that they uh, had a huge impact. I think... I was reading earlier that the um, Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins cited Cure as their number one influence. Number one? I, I don't yeah. know about that. You're pulling that out of your I, ass. That's what I read. But that's, I'd say a big influence, but man, that's Wikipedia. Yeah, that's so Wikipedia. Who knows? I mean, a lot of I think a lot of bands have have followed uh, based on the Cures. I, I can see that for sure. Yeah. And and I, what I was going to say that you reminded me because we were talking about his introvertedness. I think I picked up on who Robert Smith was probably like off stage when we watched, and it doesn't get a lot of attention. The MTV's Unplugged of the Cure. Oh, we right. had that taped. We had that recorded off TV on a VHS tape, and that's you know they're sitting around with candles, you know. But he was like sitting down, and he was like, "This one's called the blood," you yeah. know. And he was just like, you know, he was playing his songs yeah. and doing the caterpillar. And uh, I love the version of the caterpillar from the MTV's Unplugged. Oh right, but uh, but that was a you know that that MTV's Unplugged doesn't get a lot of attention. I don't think so. I should maybe do like a video on it at some oh, point. Yeah. In time. But uh-huh. anyway. Well, all right, Joel, my older bro, let's uh, let's wrap things up. Thanks for coming on Waterproof Records and talking about your favorite band of all time, The Cure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll see happy you next time. Yeah, oh, wait, sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, no, happy to be here. I'm He's glad I could uh, happy. participate in this. Yay, Very happy. Yay, yay. Yeah. yeah. And we got him out of professorial mode. We got him into more relaxed storytelling. That's right. We, we did yeah. it. Yeah. We did it. Yeah, thanks to Samid. <laughs> see you next time. All right. Bye. Things are gonna change, I feel it. It's just gonna be that kind of fun, it was. Why are you